Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible with you or don't own a Bible, there are some Bibles distributed throughout the backs of the pews there. Uh, This is the uh, uh, English Standard Version, which is what I'll be preaching from this morning. And uh, the passage we're looking at is on page 843. If you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you this morning. You can take that uh, Bible home with you so that you can have a copy of God's Word. Page 843 on that, in that pew Bible, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. We now transition from a very large section of Jesus interacting in a very public setting back to a more private setting. We see this often in the Gospels where Jesus addresses a crowd, but then the author takes us to a more intimate setting. And this is likely the most intimate of all the interactions Jesus has in his earthly ministry, at least that which John records. Uh, perhaps it can be argued that there are more intimate, but, but this is certainly an intimate uh, interaction here that Jesus has. If you know the events of what we are looking at today or beginning to look at today, you'll recognize we are breaking this narrative up a bit, but it is uh, with purpose for the sake of clarity as we walk through it. So we're just looking at the first 16 verses together this morning. I've encouraged you uh, to read ahead, of course, in the Gospel of John, and you know, if you're familiar with the Bible, this narrative, but I thought it was important for us to look at just these first 16 verses together. If you're able to, would you please stand with me as I read uh, the Word of God aloud for the New Testament reading this morning, and then um, we'll pray together. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You may be seated. That is the word of God in the New Testament reading. May it be a blessing to you as you've heard it read both aloud in the old and the new. Would you join me once again in prayer? Lord, we pray this morning by your spirit who has in the original autographs, inspired these words that he would now attend to our time together for those of us who are in Christ, that our 
eyes would be illuminated, Lord, that we might be able to see and understand and make application of the truths that we study together this morning. Lord, uh, convict us and comfort us as is appropriate to each heart here. And Lord, we pray for those who are in our midst who may not know you, that they would come to know you by the conviction of the Spirit, that you would draw them through these truths to yourself this morning, that you would give them the gift of faith and repentance, that they may turn from their sin and believe in you. We praise you and thank you this morning, Lord. I pray that you would continue to humble me, continue to get me out of the way, and that we might only see the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The prospect of death is never one to which we look upon with favor. The truest of believers at some point fear death. But it is truly not ours to fear ultimately. Recently, one of our friend's daughters was confronted with the fear of death from a teacher who caused quite a panic in his class, speaking of the pandemic. And there's lots of things that can be said around that, but uh, this uh, teacher was... Uh, sort of boisterously talking about these things. When he later asked our friend's daughter if he had gone overboard, she said she was shocked by his statement. He asked her, however, about her feelings about death. And she said, I am not afraid of dying. This is a freshman in high school. I am not afraid of dying. Then he gave her the opportunity, I'm sorry, this then gave her the opportunity once again, to proclaim the gospel to this teacher who has made no bones about his distaste for Christianity. What gives this young lady such boldness? Is it not that she believes that death is the doorway to being with Christ? I have heard some say, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. We get it. The pain of death is true and and that scares us. It's the suffering that we really do not want to have to go through. The Christian, though, need not fear this last foe to be defeated, for Christ is the resurrection and the life, as he will say later in, in the passage we began this morning. So later on he makes that statement. Yet, death does bring sorrow and pain for now, and Jesus does not minimize the sorrow of death. In fact, we see again later in this passage addressed that Jesus cries. He weeps. There is a place indeed to be angry about death, for it is the sin of Adam that brings death. Our sin likewise brings death. And yet when Christ says he is the resurrection and the life, he is not just speaking of his ability to raise one like Lazarus from the dead, that we have to distinguish from eternal resurrection that Jesus is the first fruits of but that he is the embodiment of resurrection and life because of his resurrection. There is no other way to know him and his resurrection than to be united to him through justification. This side of eternity, there is suffering. But we await the glory that is to be revealed in our own resurrection This is a glory that is for our triune God and Him alone. And it is this glory to which our passage points this morning, though we must distinguish between Lazarus' resurrection, and as as S. Lewis Johnson says, it's really more of a, a restoration because poor Lazarus, guess what, had to die again. But we see the power of 
Christ as the one who can give life just as his Father, with whom he is one, as we saw last week, gives life. Here's the main point as listed for you on the back of your worship folder there and and should have been emailed to you uh, for those of you who are watching from home. God's plan for His glory does not always look how we think it should. I am sure that there are probably dozens of messages where that has been the main point. God's plan for His glory, and we might even uh, amend this a little bit and say for our and for our good, does not always look how we think it should. And and, and really, oftentimes, many times, if not most times, it does not. So I want us to see this morning three aspects of the initial interaction concerning Lazarus's illness. Again, we're going to be walking through this uh, through the next few weeks. And, and in God's providence, uh, really, we're probably going to be getting to the resurrection of Lazarus on Resurrection Sunday. What a, a glorious way to think about the resurrection of our Lord as he talks about being the resurrection and the life than to address this in upcoming weeks. The first aspect is this. The purpose of Lazarus's illness and death is for the glory of God. Uh, we might even just pause for a moment and say, what is the purpose in anything? And we know as Christians, as those who believe in God's word, that this is the center, is it not? God's glory, God's glorification, Uh, not because he is being glorified in the same sense that we are, but because he deserves glory. John takes us right into the milieu of the Next part of the narrative, it is almost as if there is a true chapter change here in the story. We're switching scenes from the very public, as I said, to the very private. John was there. He knows the details. And uh, so he shares this under the inspiration of the Spirit to accomplish his task. As we recall, he gives us in John chapter 20 and verse 31. Just listen to it. Now, this is the, the, the verse that sort of frames the entire gospel of John. These are written, these events, if you will, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And, and we actually see this unfold in this passage, in this week's Uh, pericope in next week's passage as well. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let me just pause for a moment and say uh, just briefly here, if you are here and have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the call this morning to you is to believe in his name, and that by believing you may have life. And for those of us who are in Christ, that life is ours. That very verbiage of John 20 and verse 31 happens to come up in our text as well, we shall see. John then reminds the reader of which Mary this is. Uh, Look at it with me, uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Try to say Lazarus of Bethany three times really fast at lunch today. It's quite difficult. Uh, The village of Mary and her sister Martha. So we get this family look here. And who, which Mary is this? There's quite a few. That's a common name in in, in, uh, the Jewish community. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
Um, this actually comes up in the next chapter, in John chapter 12. And uh, Carson notes, this indicates that those who are reading this are aware of this before he relays it to them. So uh, the audience very much is a believing audience, and they know the events that are going on here. Um, But let's just pause for a moment and uh, think about who are Mary and Martha, and why is Jesus' interaction with women so important in John's gospel And really, if you would take that and look at it throughout the New Testament as well, but we're going to focus on his interaction with women in John's gospel. Mary and Martha are a part, it would seem, of the entourage of Jesus. They are those who believe he is the Messiah and the Son of God, and they follow him. Perhaps they have gone on some of these journeys with with him and his 12 men uh, to hear him preach and teach. Certainly, we are aware that Jesus has spent time in Bethany, in this very home uh, to which he goes uh, in the next uh, passage. We've already seen in the Gospel of John that Jesus goes against the grain of the day and speaking openly with the woman at the well, if you recall that from John chapter 4. She is not only a woman, which would go against the grain, but she's also a Samaritan woman with a bad reputation concerning men. Jesus has openly spoken with a woman uh, who was known to be a, a philanderer. Now Jesus, no, I'm sorry, now John reminds his readers of Mary, the one who washes Jesus' feet with her hair, one of two women who do this, and Martha. They are known to the believers of John's day, meaning that they were a part of the early church and known as friends of Jesus. The significance uh, here of Jesus' interaction with women in John's gospel uh, comes later when Martha confesses him as the Messiah and the Son of God. Um, quite frankly, the, the confession of a woman meant nothing in these days. And in that John uh, brings our mind and draws our attention to this is quite important. Uh, we also see that the, the women are the first ones to know of the resurrection of Jesus and to run and to tell the disciples of uh, that resurrection. The fact that John and the other gospel writers highlights those matters for us shows us the importance of women in the early church and, and ought to carry the same weight for us that it does uh, then. It, it should carry that for us today. Um, women were belittled. They were property in the Old and New Testament times, not necessarily in in regard to the way that God put it forth. Of course, they were not in that sense. But that John highlights this is so very important for our understanding because it would not have been normal in that day. And these sisters relay to Jesus that the one he loves is ill. And, And this gives us a bit of the context of the relationship here. This This friendship relationship um, that Jesus has with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, He visits their home. He knows them. He loves them. He has a relationship with them. Jesus' response to this is much like the one concerning the blind man. This timing is for the glory of God and the Son of God. Look at what it says. So the sisters, verse 3, sent to him saying, Lord... He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. If you recall the interaction that Jesus has with the disciples about the blind man in John chapter 9. Uh, Lord, who, for what reason is this man blind? Is it because of his parents' sin or because of his own sin? 
Uh, to which Jesus replies, it is neither. It is for the glory of God that we would come to this very moment in time so that you might see the glory of God through the Son of God. Very similar. This illness does not lead to death. Of course, it it does, but that's not his uh, purpose in stating that because it doesn't lead ultimately to death because Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That is the reason he says it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Notice this. I love the way that John puts this here. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Though he loves them deeply, He stays where he is two days longer so that the aim of his actions are fulfilled. Now, again, it is clear that this illness literally does lead to death, but Jesus is indicating here at the beginning that it will not ultimately lead to death. Consider the opposite of this, if you will, uh, using a, a biblical illustration. In the Garden of Eden, God tells Adam and Eve that if they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they will surely die. Interestingly, Physical death does not come immediately to them. Spiritual death does. But rather, God slays an animal, it would seem, so that they don't die immediately and physically in the moment. He, he, he kills another in their place so that they, they might be covered, symbolically covering their sin uh, with an animal skin. Jesus is here showing that he has the power over life and death. Adam brings death and corruption into the world. The second Adam can reverse death. He says later in the passage that he is the resurrection and life. He is giving a hint of this here, even as we recognize what he is about to do. And Jesus being the resurrection and the life, he shows ultimately in his own death and resurrection that which brings ultimate resurrection and life. His perfect life, his full obedience to the law, his dying the death that sinners deserve, the justice of God on the cross, and Jesus vindicated as the God-man who has the power of life and death, we see ultimately in his resurrection and then ascension. And what is the result of this power over life and death? Well, he tells us here, the Father and the Son are glorified. Believer, In moments of anguish and suffering, do we recall that it is our Lord who has the power over life and death and our Lord who will receive the glory for the way these things turn out, even if they don't turn out as we wish? Do you see that John emphasizes Jesus' love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Look at it again. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Believer, don't think for a second that God's timing has anything to do with whether or not he loves you. Don't believe for a second that God's timing has anything to do with whether or not he loves you. It says very plainly here that Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but he waits. 
on what is he waiting? He's actually waiting for Lazarus to die. Because there is a greater glory brought about by him raising someone from the dead than there is by him healing someone. They have seen that. They have seen that. A greater glory comes about as a result. So dear ones, if you're in Christ, rest in his power this morning. He is omniscient. That is, he is all-powerful. And all things are being worked out for our good and his glory, even though it may not feel like it at the time. Well, we see the disciples, much like us most of the time, are hard-pressed to understand why the Lord is doing what he is doing. We see this in our second point. The panic of the disciples proves their lack of understanding. The panic of the disciples proves their lack of understanding. After the two days, Jesus says in verse 7, then... After this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea. Let us go to Judea. The the disciples question this. Um, um, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? The disciples are like, hold up, Jesus. We just left there because they were going to kill you with stones. You want to go back? Like many of us probably would have thought, this doesn't seem like a good time to travel to Judea. We have to keep in mind the context of this passage. Just previous to this, in John chapter 10, we see that Jesus has equated himself with the Father, both in essence and in uh, union, in in, in what they're doing, in, in their plan. And they pick up stones to stone him. This is what is fresh on the mind of the disciples. But Jesus reminds them of who he is and why he has come. Look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And, and you can just see the disciples like, Yeah, Jesus, thank you. That makes so much sense. Like, what? <laughs> what does this mean? What is Jesus relaying here? On the surface, we understand that if one walks during the day, they are less likely to stumble because they are walking in the light. I mean, there is a very plain meaning to the illustration here. If you don't want to stumble over something, you walk during the day. There there was no electricity back in the days of the New Testament. There was no way once nightfall came really for them to continue to do anything like they had done during the daytime. So this is very vivid for them as they think about it. But what is meant by light not being in the one who walks at night? It seems best to understand this as Jesus not fearing because his time has not yet come. And he walks as the one who is the light of the world. Think of John chapter 1. The light was coming into the world. uh, and, and, And he is the light. Jesus is frankly saying there's nothing for them to fear at this moment. The purpose of God... Uh, The purposes of God are for Jesus to go to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, and that is what's going to happen. Uh, D.A. Carson, in his commentary, says, These verses metaphorically insist that Jesus is safe as long as he performs his Father's will. The daylight period of his ministry may be far advanced, but it is wrong to quit before the 12 hours have been filled up. 
the time will come soon enough when he will not be able to work. But because the disciples have been asked to accompany Jesus to Judea, there is an obvious application to them as well. Jesus himself is the light of the world. Um, who is still with them. As long as they have him for the full 12 hours of their daylight, they should perform the works assigned to them. The time would come all too soon when the darkness of his departure would make such work impossible. Such says D.A. Carson. And then the question for us as we consider this fear is what do we fear? What do we fear? If we are in Christ, what are the fears we commonly face? I'm not saying <clears throat> excuse me, that there are no fears, but, but let's identify some of those fears. And perhaps for you, this, the list that I'm about to give is, is much different than what it is for you, but I think it's okay for us to consider from time to time what is it we are fearing and to, be, to have our fears put to rest by the truth of God's word and who Christ is. If we are in Christ, what are some fears we commonly face? One fear might be the fear of condemnation, ultimately. If I am a sinner in in, in the face of a holy God, I might fear his condemnation. But Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't need to fear condemnation. We may fear that as we walk through very difficult things and suffering that perhaps God is not at work for our good and for His glory. We, we might fear those things that we ultimately face that would bring such heartache and such suffering. But we should not fear that God is not working everything out for our good and His glory. He is. We might fear, as the disciples do here, that we might face ridicule and persecution for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us that that will happen. Peter reiterates that that will happen, that we will suffer in that way. But are we to ultimately fear it? Not if Jesus is our Lord, if he is our master, he said, you will receive it. The world hates me, it will hate you also. Why do we not fear in the face of persecution? Because just as my friend's daughter said, I do not fear death. I do not fear where death will take me. That is to be our status. And again, I know that we're going to struggle with fear. That we're going to struggle with the fear of suffering and ridicule. But dear believer, rest in Christ. Rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in knowing that nothing slips through His fingers. Nothing is not for our good and for His glory. Jesus then brings clarity to His purpose in our final Point, the purpose, number three, of the Lord waiting is so that the disciples may believe. Verses 11 through 13. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant 
taking rest and sleep. Isn't it interesting to see how Jesus uses language here? He, he speaks of Lazarus falling asleep to indicate that he has died. That's exactly what he means, as the text says. Perhaps the disciples, though, think of this as a kind of sleep that comes with illness. He is so ill he has fallen asleep, and therefore he will recover from this. Sleep is a good thing if we're ill, right? We, we, we like to, um, I mean, I like to take naps anyway, but um, when we're ill, we, we find ourselves in, in bed resting. Our bodies need to recuperate, and so they, they say, Lord, uh, if he has fallen asleep, surely uh, this is a good indication that he will recover. He is only ill, and perhaps God will be glorified in his healing. But of course, Jesus means that Lazarus has died. But he died as one who would be raised as we all know. But the disciples at this point do not know. So Jesus tells them plainly, verse 14. I just love this. Our our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe he'll recuperate. Hey, guys, listen, Lazarus died. (laughs) Let me just tell you plainly. Lazarus is dead. (laughs) Okay? Um, And... For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Why would that be the case? Because what would their expectation be? Jesus, you've healed everyone else that we've come in contact with. You love this man. He is one of your best friends uh, in, in all the world. Surely you could have healed him. For your sake, I am glad I was not there. For what purpose? This is, a, this is a purpose statement in the, in the original. So that you may believe. The purpose in Jesus' delay is actually so that Lazarus would die, and not only that God would be glorified in this event, but also that the disciples may believe. Again, this gets right to the heart of Josh, John's gospel, and we see this is because of Jesus' intent, that John twenty thirty one be fulfilled. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Indeed, this is the last sign that John highlights as a proof of this very intent. Contextually, we also note that this event comes right after Jesus tells the Jewish leaders that he has both said and shown that he is the Messiah. Remember, they come to him and say, tell us plainly, don't keep us in suspense. Are you the Christ? And what does he say to them? I have said it to you, I have shown it to you, and yet you do not, what? Believe. They do not believe. They refuse to believe. Now, he performs his ultimate sign in raising someone from the dead, and it will, in fact, be the catalyst that leads to his death, as we shall see later in John chapter 11. So, think think of the irony of this. Jesus is in this conversation for a long period of time with the Jewish religious leaders, and, and they come to him finally after he has explained over and over again that he is the eternal Son of God and that he is um, one who is... Um, uh, the Messiah. And they refuse to believe. They refuse to believe. And rather than hearing that Jesus has raised someone from the dead and believing, they actually say, we need to kill him as a result of this. We'll see that later in John chapter 11. 
But for the disciples, it is a means by which God is solidifying their belief that Jesus is who he says he is. The Jews want to kill him because he claims to be one with the Father, and the disciples will further believe that he is one with the Father when he does that which the Father does. He gives life. And does he not say that? That he does give life. Still in despair, though, over Christ going back to Judea, Thomas opines, let us all go that we might die with him. They don't mean die with Lazarus. They mean die with Jesus. They're convinced. If you go back there, Lord, this is it. Now, let's not be too hard on Thomas. Perhaps he does say this with a tinge of sarcasm, but he, along with the others, do go, showing at least a willingness to die with Christ. This is all that they are, all they seem to have in mind is, is sort of safety, but, but they say, okay, here we go. Perhaps it is to die with him. <laughs> Lord, if Lazarus has fallen asleep, he will awake. They're trying to, okay, Lord, let's not go there. Uh, he's he's going to wake up, right? But it is for the sake of God's glory and for their belief. That they will go. We know, of course, that Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead, and that there is a narrative surrounding this that puts the glory of God on display, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But the disciples do not know the end result, just as we who walk through trials do not know the end result of what we are facing, as God sovereignly directs our lives through many dangers, toils, and snares. Nonetheless, we do well to trust Him. Why? Because he does it for his glory and for our good. This is what Jesus is saying ultimately here. It is for God's glory and for your good that we wait to go to Bethany. Is that not a summation of what he has said thus far? It is for God's glory and it is good that, you, that we did not go earlier for your belief. application there, isn't there, dear ones? When we're in the midst of it, in the midst of the suffering and the trial, Lord, why? Why? Perhaps we even say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And he says, that's what I'm doing. This is the stance that we take as believers as we face various trials. We trust God and that he is working all things together for his glory and for our good. And for one Other application, this is why we need the body of Christ. And as those who are in Christ, to encourage one another to think on truth. We cannot walk through trials alone. We cannot walk through trials alone. In one sense, uh, this is why we gather together on Sunday mornings. We need our faith strengthened by the means of grace. That the regular, ordinary means around which we gather, the preaching of the word, the administration of the ordinances, these are reminders to us of what is ultimate, which is our own coming resurrection. Do we not, as we sit at the table together and partake of the food of the table and the drink of the table, are we not reminded that Jesus is returning again? And that our resurrection is coming. And that uh, the new life in which we walk spiritually will also become a new life in which we walk bodily when our bodies are raised to new life. And we are glorified in the heavenlies. Does it not confirm our faith when we see 
brothers and sisters taking the step into the water uh, to symbolize what? That they have been, they have died with Christ, have been buried with him and what? Raised to new life so that they might, as Romans 6 says, walk in newness of life. Is it not an encouragement to us to think that our resurrection day is coming? Without this, without these ordinary means of grace, without the body of Christ walking faithfully with one another throughout the days, there is no hope for the trials we face. Without the truth of the gospel being reminded to us and and ringing in our ears from uh, the preaching of God's word and from uh, uh, the, the, the love and care of the saints, Without the trueness of the resurrection, there is no hope, Paul says. There is no redemption of the pain and suffering we have been through if there is not this truth. So, we proclaim this hope. Loving our neighbor with good deeds, yes, but void of the gospel proclamation, we are not giving them true hope, only temporary kindness. And we come around one another in this local assembly and encourage each other with acts of love, yes, but reminding each other of the gospel of grace. We gather together as the Lord's people to be refreshed and strengthened in our faith because our Lord is the resurrection and the life. And we who believe in him will be resurrected as well. And our faith will be, the, uh, our faith will be culminated in being conformed to the image of the resurrected Christ. That is our hope. That is our hope. Unless you have not believed. And if you have not, my call to you today is to believe the gospel. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection as the only means by which you can be reconciled to him. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, as we begin this journey toward Lazarus' resurrection... We cannot help but see the foreshadowing of our Lord's resurrection and that being the lens through which we understand our own resurrection to be conformed to the resurrected image of Christ. We too one day will experience that, Lord. We might experience it before we die if you return for us before we die, but Lord, not knowing when that time is, we know that we face death, but that death is a doorway into your presence. The first indication that we will receive resurrection and resurrection bodies, and in that is our hope. And yet, while we traverse this life, we endure trials and suffering So we must see, Lord, that because your timing is not what we think it ought to be, that that does not fluctuate your love for us if we are in Christ. Lord, you love us. You have shown that to us in Christ. I do pray that those of us who are in Christ would be refreshed and strengthened this morning in our faith, that we would rejoice in the power of Christ, of knowing him and knowing his resurrection and participating in, in, in the anticipation of participating in that. 
Even as we weep, Lord, sometimes in the afflictions we are walking through currently. Let that be our hope. Let that be the truth that is your hand reaching down to raise our chins to say, look unto me and know. We know. We know. But for those who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that they would trust you. That they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.